Welcome to Grading the Nutmeg, the podcast of Connecticut history, brought to you by the State Historian and Connecticut Explorer, the magazine of Connecticut history. I'm Walt Woodward. And I'm Elizabeth Norman. In this episode, we preview the new Harriet Beecher Stowe Center in Hartford and get the backstory on the first renovations there in 50 years. First, it's spring and we can't resist a stroll through the Stowe Center's gardens. This is Sarah Jane Cedrone for Grading the Nutmeg. I'm a guide at the Harriet Beecher Stowe Center while I work on my master's in public history, and I'm at the Stowe Center today to give you a taste of what you'll experience when you visit. The Harriet Beecher Stowe Center is showcasing a major reinterpretation of their house and tour, and the site is undergoing the first renovation in more than 50 years. The center will hold a grand reopening on June 10th, 2017, and we're here to find out what's new at one of our nation's most important historic sites. Harriet Beecher Stowe was born and died in Connecticut. The Harriet Beecher Stowe Center in Hartford is where Stowe, author of the 1852 international bestseller Uncle Tom's Cabin, retired and lived out her final years. Stowe and her family lived in the house from 1873 to 1896. It's been a museum open to the public since 1968, providing public tours and educational programs about the author's life and works. In 1990, the center shifted its mission to include the theme of social justice, using Stowe's life and the influence of Uncle Tom's Cabin to promote positive change and civic engagement. Right now, I'm standing in the gardens, which are just waking up from their winter slumber. Gardening was a popular pastime in the Nook Farm neighborhood, with Harriet herself being an avid gardener. I'll talk in a minute with the volunteer gardener here at the Stowe Center, but first... Stowe's 1873 Hartford home, which she affectionately called her Little Gray Cottage, was nestled in one of the most affluent communities in the country during the 19th century. Stowe moved back to Hartford in 1864 and built her dream home, which she called Oak Home, not far from here and near the home of her youngest sister, Isabella Beecher Hooker, the famous suffragist whose husband John Hooker had developed the Nook Farm community along with Francis Gillette. This is the neighborhood where Mark Twain would move in 1874, where Charles Dudley Warner, the editor of the Hartford Press, lived, where many years later, actress Catherine Hepburn would grow up. The Nook Farm neighborhood was a haven for intellectuals, artists, writers, and social reformers. Its residents were influential throughout the 19th century. Stowe lived in Oakholm for a few years, but it proved to be a money pit, and she sold it in 1870. In 1873, she moved into her little gray cottage down the street, where she and Calvin lived out the remainder of their lives with their eldest daughters, Harriet and Eliza. I'm standing in the Stowe Center Gardens with the volunteer gardener, Judith Lohman, and collections manager, Beth Burgess. Hi, Judith and Beth. Hi, Sarah Jane. Hi, Sarah Jane. Could you please describe the gardens for our listeners? The Stowe Center's gardens are interpretive gardens based on the history of Harriet Beecher Stowe's homes, uh, her avid love of gardening, and some of her paintings, her personal oils and watercolors. So what we've done is, over the years, starting in 1965, worked with a number of consultants, starting with Kitty Stevenson, uh, who did the original plans for the gardens and grounds, and then uh, her firm later with Rob Fuoco and... 
with his designs only after that, a few redesigns. And the gardens are based on themes, uh, colored themes, what was popular at the Victorian era when Stowe lived in this home, and also what was popular in Nook Farm, this this, uh, historic neighborhood with Mark Twain. How much do we know about what the gardens looked like when Stowe was living here? Harry Beecher Stowe lived here in Nook Farm from about 1865 until you know, her death in 1896. But here at the Stowe house from 1873 until her death, we know a few things. There's some photographs of her in the front yard showing plantings behind that. Around the house, there's also some descriptions of her telling her daughters and uh, a, woman, a man who was working for her where to plant what. So there's a few things, a few plants she calls out that are very tied to her emotionally. Uh, the language of flowers, of course, was, was very popular at the time. And every flower, every blossom had a meaning. And you incorporated those into your plantings. And women, uh, men too, would know what you were trying to say through your gardens. Where we don't have that information about Stowe planting, we've uh, over the years interpreted that. Yeah, and we put in sometimes a more modern plants if we can't get the actual historic plants based on sort of the similarity to what they would have been or else based on the color scheme that the historic color scheme, like we can't use red in some places because Beth, I say, oh, look at that great red flower. No, we can't use that. It has a bad meaning or a sort <laughs> a of risque. A little yeah. risque meaning. So we, we can't use it. So it's kind of sometimes I learn these things while I'm talking to Beth and working in the garden myself. Can you tell us some of those meanings behind the plants in the garden? We're looking right now at some pansies. It's uh, early spring annual, hardy annual. And we know that pansies uh, stood for remembrance. Uh, and certainly the color on some of these is purple, and purple was a common mourning color. So you might plant pansies to remember someone. And they were often planted at grave sites as well. Uh, Stowe, we know, planted flowers uh, like these at the, the graves of her children that she lost. Well, we're moving into spring here. Can you tell us what's being planned for the garden this year? We're trying to bring back a couple gardens, the one on the north side over by the Rose Garden, and we, we're, we're hoping our group volunteers who come periodically will help clean that out and will make it look better. So that's pretty much it. We're just trying to maintain what we what we have and make it make it look good and make it look nice for the visitors who come we have a few challenges that the uh, original designers of the garden didn't have which is um, we have aging trees that are starting to die off so we've all of a sudden have more sun than they ever had so we're adapting the gardens really to the site to the site yeah, yeah right. as things as change changes in the site yeah Could you tell us a little more about some of the notable plants here in the Stowe Center Gardens? Were any of these plants here when Stowe lived here, or the same varieties that she planted? We have a tree that our founder, Catherine Seymour Day, claimed was planted by Stowe. It's a pink dogwood, and unfortunately, two years ago, it finally died. But about 15 years ago, the Stowe Center was very forward-thinking and did some cuttings and graftings from that tree, and those... I believe near 50 saplings were planted around the site and one right next to the uh, what we lovingly call the mama dogwood so very close to where she was so in order to represent that this was here you know it's, it's a bit of a stretch to think that this dogwood 
was from Stowe's period, but we like to think so. Uh, it's, a, it's a pink, beautiful dogwood. So those saplings now, um, we have about 20 left that have made it. And actually, about five of them were gifted to other likewise institutions, uh, like-minded, excuse me, institutions. So there's a women's college in Japan that received one of the trees. Vassar College has one and a few others. So they're in memoriam of Harriet Beecher Stowe. One of these magnolias, these very large magnolias is a state champion tree i think it's this one it right here dr. yes dr merrill and it it's it's kind of a mixed blessing because it it has a tendency to encroach on the the oval bed that's right next to it they're so big and they they have to be cut back but they look they always look spectacular in the spring big white flowers we also have uh, an, a national champion pawpaw tree on site across the driveway there, which is unusual because it normally doesn't grow this side of the hemisphere, but it was planted in the 1980s and taken root and loves it here. So it, it actually produces fruit. We don't encourage people to eat it, um, <laughs> but it's a beautiful tree, and it's, it's from the climate in the Mediterranean, basically, northern Africa. We also have two historic rose hedges, uh, which were awarded a few years ago by the Garden Club of America for their beauty. And those are heritage historic breeds, um, a variety of them, and they're on either side of the day house front driveway. There's also a few of those mixed in around the Stowe House, including my favorite, the Harrison's Yellow Climbing Rose, and it's a uh, named for... Uh, President Henry Harrison. Yes, it's an 1830s variety. Yeah, (laughs) smells like lemons. It blooms early June, so we should be seeing it soon. And it's it's impossible to kill. You have to. (laughs) It's it's everywhere in the bed, and if you left it alone, it would take over the world. It's a really (laughs) strong variety, but really fun to see. Yeah, brilliant yellow, like stoplight yellow. I actually like one of the dogwood cuttings because the first year I was here, it's up in the corner in the front. It was all covered in bittersweet. And I remember spending a few days just manhandling that bittersweet off that dogwood tree. And I believe I saved its life. So it's it's my favorite. <laughs> so the Stowe Center is part of Connecticut Historic Gardens, which is a group of 15 heritage sites with gardens that uh, collaborate and offer free tours one day a year. Of course, these sites are open throughout the year, so you should call ahead and, and uh, if you want to visit. But the day this year is Sunday, June 25th, so please come out and see what all of us are showing in our gardens. There's also, here in Hartford, Hartford Blooms between June 2nd through 5th, and the Stowe Center is one of those sites that I've visited. So another good way to check out the Stowe Center's gardens. Thanks, Beth and Judith. You're welcome. Thank you. Let's go inside Harriet's home. Executive Director Catherine Kane is waiting inside to give us a sneak peek. The first room in the house that visitors enter is Stowe's former pantry, now a brightly lit gallery space lined with quotes from public figures past and present about the impact of Stowe's most famous novel, Uncle Tom's Cabin. One quote which always stands out to visitors comes from Abraham Lincoln, who is said to have greeted Stowe in 1862 by saying, so you're the little woman who wrote the book that started this great war. So coming in the pantry, uh, which is no longer a pantry, 
and uh, which is a space that over its life in Stowe's time was also partly an exterior porch and was in various configurations. We decided that what we really wanted to do in that space was show people what others said about Stowe and her work rather than lecturing at them. We're now standing in the dining room. When the renovation is complete, the table in the center of the room will be set for dinner. In this space, where you feel as if Harriet and her family are about to walk in and sit down for dinner, visitors learn about her childhood and formative years. Family was very important to Stowe. Harriet was born in Litchfield, Connecticut in 1811, the sixth of 11th children. Her father, Lyman Beecher, was a nationally renowned Calvinist minister and social reformer. He encouraged all of his children to fiercely pursue their education, be conscious of important issues, and be actively involved in their communities. After finishing her schooling at the Hartford Female Seminary, a girls' school begun by her eldest sister, Catherine, Harriet decided to work for her sister as a teacher. She taught there until 1832, when she and her family moved to Ohio for her father's new job as the president of Lane Theological Seminary in Cincinnati. During this time, Stowe spent her early years living with Lyman before marrying her husband, Calvin Stowe, and beginning a family. The dining room, which is the second room you visit on the house tour, will cover Stowe's early life and family life at her home in Litchfield and set the rest of the tour up for talking about how that, how her growth as a thinker and as a writer began at the dining table with the rest of her family as a child. So in this dining room, in the Stowe House in Hartford, we don't know exactly what her dining room looked like. So we made some judgments. We did all the research that we could. We used the small physical evidence that was left from Stowe's time. And we used actually Stowe's descriptions uh, of how a space should be decorated. She wrote extensively about domestic life. So we made choices in Stowe's scheme. You start with the carpet, and then you move up the walls to the crown molding, and you have an integrated color scheme. And the patterns are not the same, but they complement one another, and the colors uh, complement one another. So there will be a carpet in here, and the wallpaper on the walls actually is a copy from the Stowe Center's historic wallpaper collection. So we were excited to be able to use something like that, and it fits the kind of wallpaper that Stowe would have chosen for this space. This move to Ohio would prove to be life-changing for Harriet. And for that part of the story, we move into the Gilded Age back parlor. Here, visitors learn about 21-year-old Harriet's move to Ohio with her family, where she found that life on the western frontier was nothing like that of life in New England. Although Ohio was a free state, Cincinnati sat along the Ohio River directly across from Kentucky, a pro-slavery state. Stowe's experiences in Cincinnati shaped and informed her opinions on what she called the peculiar institution of slavery. While living in the border city, she witnessed abolitionist protests, slavery debates, and even met formerly enslaved people. One day, while traveling in Kentucky, Stowe witnessed a scene she would never forget, a slave auction. An enslaved woman was being sold apart from her young son, never to know what would happen to her boy. Stowe was flooded with empathy for the woman, an experience she wrote about for years to come. After losing her own infant son to cholera years later, Stowe thought back to that slave auction 
and decided that she had to do something to encourage the same feeling of empathy in others if she hoped to see an end to the institution of slavery. Three years later, Stowe began writing Uncle Tom's Cabin as one chapter per week installments in the abolitionist newspaper The National Era. The story was compiled and published in book form in 1852 and became an immediate bestseller, catapulting Stowe into international fame and pushing the issue of slavery into the national spotlight. The back parlor is the third stop on the tour, and in this room, the uh, space will be uh, a comfortable living environment, kind of a living room kind of space. There's a piano, there will be a sofa, and there is a big dresser, a big bureau that belonged, uh, all the stuff belonged to the family and was uh, in the space. But what the real idea here is, is to make it look like, as you said, the, the family is spending time here. So we usually decorate it with messy newspapers across the tables and a tea service, one that Stowe owned, ready for sipping tea in the afternoon. Harriet described that she and her husband Calvin would each loll on the sofa and read to one another as they uh, spent time together. But this also would be the room where they hosted guests and visitors. This is the more formal space in the house. Now that the renovation is drawing to a close, can you tell me what your favorite space or object in the house is? I can tell you what my my mostest favoritest artifact is in the whole collection of the Harriet Beecher Stowe Center, and that is the petition that Stowe received in 1853 in Great Britain, where she was presented with a petition from the women of Great Britain to the women of the United States, asking them to abolish the institution of slavery. And this petition is 26 bound volumes that'll be uh, represented in a low oaken case, as Stowe had it, in the front hall of the house. Um, And it has 563,000 signatures. Now, that just seems to me like a humongous number for that era, for 1852, 1853. They gathered these signatures over a few months across the British Isles and even to Paris and Jerusalem. I imagine these uh, villages and church groups and staffs in great estates gathering together to sign the petition. Uh, It has signatures from working-class women and from duchesses. So it's quite the story, and I think uh, I always show it to people who come to visit the Stowe Center because some researcher needs to delve into this document and tell us all the great things that are there because it's it's a story waiting to be told. After gaining some insight into Stowe's life and experiences leading up to the publishing of Uncle Tom's Cabin, visitors move into the front parlor. Here, the visitors get to talk. They're given reproductions of 19th century documents to look at, a receipt for a sale of an enslaved man, for example. One item is a children's anti-slavery alphabet book. It's designed to teach children about the horrors of slavery letter by letter, with rhymes such as, M is for the merchant of the North who buys what slaves produce, so they are beaten, whipped, and worked for his and for our use. Here, visitors can discover for themselves why Harriet felt the need to write an anti-slavery novel. The front parlor space is a period room based, as is the back parlor. Both these rooms, we know quite a bit about what they looked like from photographs and physical 
surviving material. So these rooms look more like they did in Stowe's time than any of the other rooms in the house because we have the information, the visual information. But every room in this house is a kind of stage set for telling the Stowe story and talking about the impact of Stowe, but also involving those who are taking the tour in a conversation about what Stowe's issues mean today. And in the front parlor, the group sits down, as our focus group suggested, sits down in a circle around a small table, and on that table are reproduction artifacts from the Stowe Center collection, uh, photographs, runaway individuals, posters, a song, an abolitionist song, um, uh, a booklet that was for children, the abolitionist alphabet, some pro-slavery material, and the group picks up uh, pieces of this, and then the tour guide facilitates a discussion about these items. And the real idea is to get people thinking about the issues of the day and how they're still relevant today. Uh, Issues of equality, issues of human trafficking, issues of uh, how we treat one another and speak about one another. And what we find in these tours is it can be uh, a very moving or a very thoughtful experience. So as you mentioned, the front parlor is currently being used as sort of a discussion space, the way that it would have been used in Stowe's time. Well, the Stowe Center, we think that the public is, is no longer interested in coming on a house tour and getting a lecture. They want to be part of the conversation. That was very clear from our visitors before we started our reinterpretation project. And as we tested ideas on how to carry that out, how do you have a not-lecture tour, we got lots of ideas from the public. And so sitting down and having a facilitated discussion was part of that. Um, And, of course, the public told us they wanted to sit down in Stowe Space. They wanted... They wanted uh, time for reflection, and this room is one of the places that that happens. The whole idea of this interpretation is to ask people to ultimately think about what issue they care about that they want to work on. So Stowe's an example. We're using her space, her domestic life, her impact as a writer with Uncle Tom's Cabin and other books, uh, asking people to think about what issues they care about how the issues Stowe was writing about are still with us today or not, and uh, what they might do about something they care about. The tour continues upstairs, where Harriet's husband Calvin's bedroom has been turned into an interactive gallery, where visitors may experience an audio and visual presentation designed to give a look inside Harriet's brain. The kitchen is the final room on the tour, and what Maura Hallisey, program coordinator at the Stowe Center, describes as the modern-day gathering space in her article about the reinterpretation in the summer 2017 issue of Connecticut Explored. Visitors are encouraged to think about parallels between issues of racial injustice in the United States when Stowe was alive and today, and ask themselves what they can do to create positive change like Harriet did. And these uh, past-to-present connections that you're talking about kind of manifested themselves um, really in the last space of the tour, the kitchen. They've had facilitated conversations all along the way. They've, had, they've seen the rooms where Stowe lived her life. They've learned her biography, and they've been asked along the way to share their own thoughts about what 
uh, books were important to them, um, reactions to the experience that they're having or the materials they're given. They've gone through the parlors and had a, an experience, a multimedia experience that gave them a sense of the angst Stowe was going through as she chose what to do about slavery. And then ultimately they end up in the kitchen. That's the last stop on the tour. They sit down around the kitchen table and there is butcher paper, craft paper on the kitchen table and crayons and everybody writes down their thoughts and what they're going to do. Students who visit the Stowe Center participate in Affecting Social Change, a joint program between the Stowe Center and the Mark Twain House, which teaches them to think critically about societal issues and how they can make a difference. The Salons at Stowe program offers members of the public a chance to participate in Victorian-style salon discussions based on current events. Ultimately, what do you hope visitors will come away with at the end of the tour? Well, the point of the tour is to use Stowe as an example, uh, an example of a woman who had an impact and who made a difference. No matter how uh, courageous she had to be to pick up her pen and write Uncle Tom's Cabin in a time when violence was normal and keeping people in their place with violence was to be expected, she had the courage to act. And if she can do that, surely we all can take some action on issues that we care about. What we've seen here today is just a taste of what visitors can expect when they tour the newly renovated Harriet Beecher Stowe Center this summer. The Stowe Center is located at 77 Forest Street in Hartford, Connecticut, and is open Monday through Saturday, 9 to 5, and Sunday, noon to 5. The Stowe Center offers public tours every half an hour until 4.30. For more information, visit stowcenter.org. story in the summer 2017 issue of Connecticut Explored, which includes stories on Connecticut's food history, including oystering, pizza, hops growing, and more. If you like to eat, you'll love this issue. Connecticut Explored, the magazine of Connecticut history, available by subscription or single issue at ctexplored.org. Thanks for listening. We wish to thank Catherine Kane, Judith Lohman, Beth Burgess, and the Harriet Beecher Stowe Center. This episode was produced by Elizabeth Norman and Sarah Jane Cedrone. And thanks for becoming part of the Grading the Nutmeg family. Please write a review on iTunes and stay with us for more authentic and fascinating stories about Connecticut history.